you can have a seat this morning. We are starting our new series in Ecclesiastes. Rick's going to be preaching from Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 11. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness, a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing in which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who have come. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. What a great way to start a, a beautiful, sunny, springtime day with that darkness. Life is full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. Um, yeah, that sounds fun, right? Um, let's do this. So we have these, uh, you remember from when we did James, we have, we did get one of these. We have them again. Uh, we'd like to pass them out to you today. Um, uh, so let me, Ben, you want to jump on that and I will, uh, I'll pray. And here's the cool part. Um, Ben's going to pass these out to you and I'm going to pray while Ben has passed them out and God can still hear us even though my eyes are not closed and nor are yours. God, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for the gift that you've given to us of your word. I pray that uh, these books that you've provided for us will bring us into relationship with you, Father. I pray that you would reveal yourself and reveal your heart and your wisdom to us. God, you are good and you are holy and you are worthy of our lives and who we are. God, I pray that, that this resource that we are now holding would be used to, to deepen our faith and help us to understand this world, this life, uh, the pleasure and the pain that this world and this life brings to us, Father. Lord, I pray you would redeem it all, redeem our pleasure and redeem our pain so that we might know you, we might understand you, we might live with you. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Um, so Ecclesiastes is a, is a really dark book, and it's filled with lots of darkness. Um, most scholars believe that it was written by Solomon. Uh, some have challenged that, but uh, I don't agree with them. This, this was written by Solomon. Um, and other places in the scripture call Solomon the wisest man who ever lived. And God said to Solomon early on in his life, you can have anything you want, but would you like to have? And he said, I would like to have wisdom. And God gave him wisdom. Um, he should have added to that how to apply this wisdom because uh, Solomon had great wisdom, but he didn't really understand how to apply it. This book comes kind of from the end of his life, and it is sort of trying at the last minute to apply the wisdom that he's gotten. And it's, it's really, 
it's really dark. Um, and uh, well, let's let's get into it. Though. So uh, before before we do get into that, I, I want to direct your attention. It's going to be on the screen in a second, but also I want to direct your attention to the bulletin you have. I think you guys all have a bulletin, right? Um, there are four statements that are here. These kind of are a conglomeration of, of my study and, and what God has given to me and some other guys that I've listened to. So the first one here, um, Ecclesiastes beckons us to think wisely about life. I thought about this word beckons a few times and, and to, to, to change that word to invites or, or initiates or whatever, but beckons I think is an important word. Um, beckons is kind of like a, a, a strong invitation, like I really need you to see this. Um, Ecclesiastes beckons us, like begs us, pleads with us, invites us to think wisely about life. The second thing, Ecclesiastes argues that apart from God, life is meaningless. Uh, you'll see that uh, Ecclesiastes kind of bumper at the beginning that was up there just a minute ago, uh, kind of filled with smoke. That word, we'll study that in just a second, uh, it is translated as, as vapor, vanity. Kelly read it several times, and like the second verse we'll read this morning, um, it's, it, it's the Hebrew word fell, which is vanity, meaninglessness, smoke, vapor, it just evaporates. So life apart from God has no meaning. Um, we're getting better here. The third one, uh, Ecclesiastes gives language to our ache. Um, just let that kind of live on itself uh, there. And then the, the last one, Ecclesiastes, resists anything trite, pretentious, sentimental, or dishonest. I love that phrase, um, especially kind of like who God has made me to be, like all of those things, pretense, sentimentality, and, and being dishonest really bother me, especially in the context of the church. And I love that this book shows up in Scripture in that it doesn't need you to think it's good. It doesn't need you to think things are great. It doesn't need you to think that, that life is happy. It doesn't need you to think that we're shiny, happy people. It doesn't need you to think any of those things. It sees the world rightly for the way it is and begins to, to speak into that. Um, before we kind of get started, I want to bring like two thoughts before us that that I think will will guide us throughout the, the entirety of the series. I, I hope that these things are, are, are with us throughout the entirety of the series. So below those statements I just read that are involved in your bulletin, uh, this is something I want to, to read over you at the beginning. The human condition and the human predicament are here in Ecclesiastes. You will see both yourself and 2020 American problems. We have a craving for purpose, we have a craving for relationship, we have a craving to be happy. We have a craving to be satisfied. But this world cannot satisfy. Happiness is fleeting. Loneliness affects us all at some point, and purpose is hard to find. I think there's, there's a lot of truth that's in there, and I think Ecclesiastes speaks directly to that. And I want to say this. Ecclesiastes is a book for our day. It's a book for today. Um, and the Really, the, the heart of that, if, if that's true, what, what I just read, or the human condition, the human predicament, or here in Ecclesiastes, you see yourself and you see 2020 here, um, 
This, the, the fact that there's a book that's dark like Ecclesiastes is dark, but there's a little thread and shred of hope that weaves throughout the darkness. It's proof that God loves you and empathizes with you. And I, I want you to, to see, as you relate to the pain that's present in Ecclesiastes, as you relate to that pain, I want you to understand that, that God had a plan to bring this wisdom to Solomon, that he would write it down, and it would be persevered for you here. And the, the fact that this book exists in Scripture is proof that God understands that there is something called the human predicament, this human condition that we all feel, where we feel these, these pleasures, but they're fleeting. We feel these joys, but they're fleeting. And we understand that there's a loneliness to this life. We understand there's a pain to this life. And Solomon gives language to all of that. And he, and he isn't trite, pretentious, sentimental, or dishonest. Um, the last thing I want to do before we get started in the first verse here is bring uh, one of the last verses here, because I think it's the purpose verse. And, and I, I hope, my plan is we read this verse every month for the next 12 weeks we're together reading through Ecclesiastes. I hope that we read this verse every time. Yeah, throw, throw that verse up there. Uh, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. I think this is the, the second to last verse in the book. Um, the end of the matter, so basically Solomon's saying, all that I've said is so that I can say this. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Why you are here on this earth rests in these two verses. All this, all this, all these two statements. All of the pain and darkness and hardship that I've spent the last few minutes talking about are summed up here. And the, the purpose of your life is to, to fear God and, and keep his commandments. So let me explain a, a little bit on a kind of a lower shelf what these things mean. To fear God means to revere him, to worship him, to honor him, to see him rightly, to, and it's this, revere is probably the best word, uh, to just see him rightly, and add, when we see him rightly, something happens in us where we think, wow, this is something better than me, bigger than me, that loves me, we're revering him. When we fear, when we have that posture in life, it's Fearing God, and maybe maybe consider kneeling before someone or something. That's what it means that this word fear. So fear God. God is calling us to revere Him. And then the second piece there to keep His commandments. And, and here's this is the one like come back to me, pay attention right here. Like this is vitally important for not just Ecclesiastes but for your life. This phrase keep His commandments is to love God with everything that you are, and to love people the way that you love yourself. So, this, I've, I've been kind of brain deep throughout the last couple of weeks thinking about Ecclesiastes and, and trying to come to grips with it. And, and as I've done that, I've looked around and I've seen art that's around me, movies, music, uh, paintings, pictures, photographs, and even just, like, there's, there's an art street to life and just engaging with all of those things, the, the truth and the, and the vital nature of this 
truth that we are to love God with all that we are and love people as we love ourselves. Like, everything is kind of hinging around those things. And, and the, the purpose of your life, the purpose that you exist, all of these things are rooted here in this idea that we're to love God with everything that we are. And we're to love people the way that we love ourselves. We think about, like, feeding ourselves. Like, if you, you're going to get hungry in a little bit because it's lunchtime, and you're going to go and feed yourself. Why are you doing that? Because you want to provide for what your body is telling you to do. And, and what this verse says, keep his commandments, loving people as you love yourself, is, is found there. When you feel a need in yourself, you want to fix, you, you want to meet that need, right? To love others as yourself, to love your neighbor as yourself, that's what this means. When you see and experience and, and encounter a need in another human being, you meet that need in that other human being. The end of the, the wise, Solomon is said in scripture to be the wisest man to ever live. And this is what he, at the end of all that he said, at the end of his life, at the end of his wisdom, at the end of his treaty on wisdom, he says this. Revere God and serve people, love people, the way that you serve and love yourself. So, let's dig in to this darkness with that light that's at the end. Um, flip to, to chapter 1 in, in your journal Bible, if you would. Uh, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. This is what leads most scholars to believe this is Solomon and, and this writing this. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. His first words in his treaty about wisdom, he uses the word vanity five times. Um, so this word appears either 64 or 68 times in all of Scripture. And it's used 30 times in the book of Ecclesiastes, this word vanity. It's the Hebrew word babel, which means vapor, breath, meaninglessness, or lacking substance. It's, um, it's a breath that comes out of you and then disappears. There's nothing, there's no substance to it. It's, um, do you remember the, the scene in, in the office when Jim wraps Dwight's desk in wrapping paper? That's Havel, because there's nothing. We think he wrapped his desk, but it's just nothing there. And he sets his briefcase on the desk, remember? And it just collapses. That is this. It's everything is vapor. It's vanishing. It doesn't exist. There's nothing to it. There's no meaning in it. And that's really dark. There's no meaning in this world apart from what, we just, what I just ranted about. Apart from loving God, apart from serving people, apart from loving people the way that you love yourself, there's nothing of any value, of any significance, of any substance apart from that. Verse 3, what does a man gain by all his toil, by which he toils under the sun? Um, have you ever... I've already talked about eating lunch, and like we're going we're gonna to get hungry, we're going to go eat lunch today. But you're going to eat your meal, and then in about five or six hours, what's going to happen? You're going to get hungry again. 
just continues to happen. Life is, um, like, I think one of the things we'll find here is, I wish that we were, like, a bigger church with more money, and I'd have a, I'd have a treadmill up here, and I would preach the sermon from the treadmill. Because we just run, and we 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 never go anywhere. Um, it's kind of like a movie you may have seen. Uh, Mia, hit that clip, would you? Shabby again. All of these things 
happen. And there's this tedious, toiling, groundhog day-like monotony to this. And I love that, like, my spirit, my, like, 2020 American nature wants there to be, okay, we've seen the dark, now bring us some light. We want some happy bow to be on the end of it, but he just keeps with the darkness. Verse 4, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Um, let's do a little uh, experiment. Raise your hand if you know your grandmother's name. Keep your hand raised if you know your great-grandmother's name. Keep your hand raised if you know your great-great-grandmother's name. Keep your hand raised if you know your great-great-great-grandmother's name. Nobody's got their hand raised. Smart little teenagers in the back keep raising their hands. The point is, like, we have two people who know their, their great-great-grandmother's name. Um, here, here's an example. My, my mom, uh, her mom passed away when she was 18, 19 years old, uh, and because of that, her grandmother, who she called Puppy, kind of became like a mom to her, and uh, Puppy had like 12 kids and then like 30 grandkids, and my mom was one of them. My mom was the second oldest of those 30 grandkids, and Puppy kind of became her, her de facto mom, and did she was an incredible, I've heard stories about Puppy, I knew her when she died probably when I was seven or eight, something like that, but I have this memory of her, but it's not very concrete. I talked to my mom this week about Puppy, and she told me great stories about uh, lunches and dinners where if you came to her house for dinner, she would find out what your favorite dish was, and that dish would be on the table. Even if it were, there were 12 people, there would be 12 different dishes, and there would be 12 different of your favorites on the table. And uh, and she was always serving people all the time, continually serving people, both in her in her home, her family, and in her church. She was always <laughs> serving people. And I know that because I've heard my mom talk about it. But my daughters, Hannah Grace and Mia, have never met Puppy and can only get to hear those stories about Puppy. And they'll go and have children, and they'll have no idea who Puppy was. And your great, great grandchildren will have no idea who you are and what you did and all the toil with which, with which you toiled on this earth and all the great and wonderful things you did, all the, the awful and horrible things you did. Your great-great-grandchildren will have no idea. They won't even know your name. It's dark. Back to the, the scripture that was verse 4, verse 5. The sun rises and goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. Nothing ever changes. The struggle will always be the struggle. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the winds on its circuits, and the wind returns. It's monotonous. It happens over and over and over again. Here's, here's the other thing. We are consumed with ourselves, and we think that this world is about us, but it's just not. The things that we struggle with are the things that they struggled with, and the things that those in the future will struggle with. The past, the present, and the future, the struggles are always the struggles. Verse 7, all streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. 
to the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. Isn't that just like you? You're never going to be full. You're never going to be satisfied. The streams are a perfect example of the, the Mississippi River. Like streams flow in Mississippi, and Mississippi flows in, into the Gulf of Mexico, and the Gulf of Mexico is this massive, huge body of water. But it never overflows. It's never full. It continues to flow, continues and continues and continues. Verse 8 is an especially dark verse. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. I thought about this to illustrate this point, but I decided it would be mean. I was going to wrap a present, really nice and beautiful, uh, like a box, and have one of the kids come up and get all excited about, hey, they're going to get a present, they're going to open it up, and there's going to be nothing in it. But that illustration, so instead of being mean, I just said that. All things are full of weariness. Imagine, and, 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 and I'll, I also didn't do it because it's not, the, the analogy breaks down quickly. If we open a gift of nothing, that's better than opening a gift that was full of weariness. What you chase, what we think we need, what we surrender our lives for, gives us weariness in return. What are we are you striving for? What do you want out of your life? If it's not in connection with Ecclesiastes 12, 13, to, to revere God and to keep his commandments, it's going to bring you weariness. Like the, the pain and the struggle that was in Bill Murray's face in the clip we just said. It was just... Every morning at 6 a.m. and that song comes up and it's Groundhog Day again. It's full of weariness. Everything in this world, absent Ecclesiastes 12, 13, is full of weariness. It will make you tired. A man cannot utter it. Um, put Ecclesiastes 12, 13 up there again. I just want you to see it again. Yeah, can you do that for me? Thank you. This is it. This is the only thing that, like, this is where we're going. This is the road that we're taking. We're going to be talking about dark and ugly things. And, and my job as your pastor, as your preacher, to present this truth to you is to keep this in front of us. That fear God and keep his commandments. Revere God and love him with all that you are and love people the way that you love yourself. Everything that you have, everything that you hold, every bit of longing in you finds its satisfaction there. Everything else is a stream running to the sea that can never be full. <coughs> this is it. Second half of verse 8. Mia, just leave that one up there if you would. Follow along in, in the journals that you have. Verse 8. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. You're never going to be satisfied. You're never going to be full. Um, I've, I said a minute ago that like art and music and movies and all this have been reminding me for the last few weeks about Ecclesiastes, 
Um, I happened to hear Dust in the Wind by Kansas a couple of weeks ago, and that song is just, it is Ecclesiastes. A lyric, I close my eyes only for a moment, and the moment's gone. I, I, I quote that um, with great fear because now there's a chance you're going to be thinking about Kansas singing for the rest of the time and not paying attention. I close my eyes. I'm making it worse. Um, I'm making it worse because I'm, I'm letting you sing it, and you also have to be exposed to my singing. Life is full of weirdness. Nobody got my joke. Um, verse 9, and this is, uh, I think it's because I'm a hopeful person. And I want to feel hope. Um, and I want to find hope maybe when it's not even there. That's just my general nature. But verse 9 brings a lot of hope to me. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. I'm, I look around our nation. I look around our city, and I look around our church, and I look around my heart, and I see stuff that I don't like, that I want to change, and I want to be different. In our nation, in our city, in our church, and in my heart, I want them to be different. I want them to be better. I want them to be effectual. I want them to change. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. The, the power struggles, the racism, the wealth, the, the, the self-centeredness, the narcissism that's present in all of those things, in our country, in our city, in our church, and in my heart, in your heart, the narcissism and the pain and the struggles, all of that that's there is nothing new to you. You are not special in your struggle. You're not special in your struggle. North County is not special in its struggle. Chesterfield is not special in its struggle. Nothing is new. It's all the same. And it has its end, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. The end of the matter is this. All has been heard. All of the wisdom in the world has been heard. And here it is. Revere God and love God and love people the way you love yourself. That's it. Verse 10. Is there anything of which it is said, see, this is new. It's already been in the ages before us. I talked about puppy. You thought about your great-grandparents. Their struggles are your struggles. We feel the problems of civilization. We feel the problems of our friends and the people. We feel the problems of our nature. We feel the struggle for solutions, the struggle to find a hero, the struggle to find purpose, the struggle to somehow make life better. And it's all the same. Your struggles and my struggles were their struggles, and they'll be our children's struggles. Forever and ever. I, I think that this is like we're about to enter into a really crazy political season. Like we're kind of in the midst of it, but it's getting worse. And I think it's here because we're we are people that want to find a hero. 
And, and it's, it's interesting that the red gets eight years, and we realize, well, they don't, they don't have it figured out. Then we give the blue eight years, we realize, well, well, they don't have it figured out. So we give the red eight more years. Well, they don't have it figured out, so we give the blue eight more years. And it's all just, none of these people are gonna solve any of these problems. None of these people are gonna solve your struggle. This is it, the end of the matter has been heard. Revere God, love God, and love people the way that you love yourself. If you don't like redundancy, you might want to skip the next 10 or 11 weeks of North Church. Verse 11, there's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be. Like this, this verse reminds me of one of the points I made at the beginning. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. God knew that we would struggle with these ideas and these thoughts. God knew in 2020 we'd be full of angst about who's going to be our next president, who's going to be our next savior. And he, and he spoke these words to Solomon and wrote them down so you might see them and engage with them and understand that it doesn't matter. It's all weariness. Over and over and over again, no one can sustain the weight of your hope. I want to end with a, a quick juxtaposition of Jesus and Solomon. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. And he used his wisdom to serve himself. Solomon, it also says, was the richest man who ever lived. He had more wealth than any other person in the world. And he used that wealth to satisfy his physical desires. Christ could have had wealth, chose poverty so that he could give himself away. And he had immense wisdom that he used to serve other people. This is the juxtaposition of all of Scripture and all of life and, and the, the beautiful picture of the Gospel that we if we have access to unlimited wisdom and unlimited wealth and unlimited sexual pleasure and unlimited uh, physical pleasures, all of that, we would spend it on ourselves. Christ spent it on you. This is the beauty of what God has for you. Let's pray. <coughs> God, thank you. Thank you for persevering in your scripture to us. God, I pray that you would ignite a passion in us to study your word. Ignite a passion in us to open our eyes to what you're doing. Ignite a, a, a strong passion to see the world through the lens of your son, Jesus. And Father, when, uh, when the world shows us weariness and emptiness and meaninglessness, Father, may we run to all 
have been heard. The end of the matter is to fear God and keep his commandments. God, I pray you would you would bring opportunities in our lives to give our lives away, to love people the way that we love ourselves. And when those people that we love don't love us back in that same way, Father, may we continue to love them in that way. Father, open our eyes to all that you're doing in our world, all that you're doing around us, all that you're doing inside of us, and allow us to give our lives away and maybe find meaning and purpose there. God, thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name.